0: So let's go ahead and get kicked off everybody. Thank you so much for joining us this Tuesday morning. I hope everybody is doing well. I'm Margaret Schmidt. I'm the project manager for contract education, technical assistance provider. And we are so very proud to um, welcome Deanna Crabiel from the San Bernardino Community College District and Jonathan Bissell, who's with the College of San Mateo uh, District. And both of them are practicing contracted practitioners, that both of their units are very successful. And I'm gonna say they're both really um, enterprising because they try new things, they're very good at collaborating, collaborating with their regional uh, peers and other partners that are working in the workforce industry. So I'm going to turn it over to them to share with you how contract education can be used as a stepping stone to four credit classes. So thank you, Deanna and Jonathan for presenting today. Good
1: morning, thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Deanna, you are muted.
2: Can you hear me now?
0: Yes, Yes, perfect. Awesome.
2: That's interesting. Okay. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, Thank you for this opportunity being that we do have an hour um, please write down your questions we do have a questions and answers at the end but if we can take questions while we're going through the slides as well we want to make sure this is interactive for you um, I am Deanna Krabiel I have been working for 11 years at San Bernardino Community College District and I am the interim executive director there Jonathan
1: Hi everyone, great to see you this morning. Um, so I've, I'm Executive Director of Community Continuing Corporate Education with the San Mateo County Community College District. I know that's a mouthful, lots of C's in there. Um, I've been in this role for uh, almost six and a half years and uh, was in doing some form of contract ed in different roles for quite a, quite some time before then. And so uh, together, Dean and I have counted up many, many years in contract education. And uh, I, I'd, I'd say one thing just as a preview of, of how we think about this is that experience is wonderful, but contract ed is an ever-changing uh, dynamic fluid field to be in. And so uh, you have to stay on your toes all the time and that keeps it fresh and exciting. All right, so we have- we have a lot of things to, uh, to cover with you today. We're excited.
2: All right, so here are some of the questions that we hope to answer by the end of the presentation today. So what is contract education? How does the education code define contract education? How can contract education be used as a stepping stone for credit classes? What are key challenges and boundaries? What opportunities and partnerships are available? And then, as I said, we have a QA and a at the end. However, we will be answering questions as we go through the presentation as well.
1: Okay, next slide. All right, so these are some high level things and we're gonna flesh this out more for you. But um, the first thing to know about contract education is that this represents the responsive Kind of workplace training arm of the California Community College System to private and public employers. I mean, this is that rapid response, nimble kind of enterprise that people wish they had and don't realize that they do within the system. Um, these units, and there's, there's between, somewhere between 30 and 40 throughout the state, are uniquely positioned to respond, as I said earlier, very quickly and effectively to employer training needs locally, regionally, and sometimes globally. Um, Especially if you have an employer that has that kind of reach, you can work with them across multiple locations. And sometimes you may get a request from overseas. Um, And one of the things that really marks it is that there is a customized design and delivery process built into every engagement. Um, So we don't think of it as a curriculum. This is training that we're offering. And Deanna is going to Share a little bit about some of the different types and ways that contract ed shows up.
2: So, contract education uh, is well known for incumbent worker training. So, businesses that need to upskill and reskill their current employees, contract education can work with uh, a huge state organization called the Employment Training Panel. We have 12 current colleges that hold MECs, which are called multiple employer contracts across the state of California. We do have a network of about 29 colleges that do work with ETP at this time. In addition to that, we also um, contract directly with those businesses to provide training for them. In addition, we work with individual populations that are unemployed, marginalized, um, that need to get back to work. They can't wait two to four years to obtain a degree in order to obtain employment. So we work with them, providing a skill set to get them back to work. Um, populations such as justice involved and homeless are, are areas that we target. In addition, um, we do transitional work crews. We part um, San Bernardino computer. Uh, um, San Bernardino Community College District actually works with Caltrans and we provide these transitional work crews with individuals that just came out of um, incarceration. And it helps them to learn how to work again, not just go back to work, but they've been incarcerated for so long, they need to learn how to work again, how to work around people, how to work with an employer and how to get back in the industry. So these are just three different types of examples of what contract education can do. But contract education is nimble. We provide customized short-term training for whoever we're working for at that time. So we can solve an instant problem.
1: Yeah, and I would just add uh, two things. One, um, people say, well, what's your typical training? And there is no typical training, so uh, I just was on a phone call right before this presentation with a biotech company that wants DEI training, and you know we're we're getting the paperwork ready to sign off on that. We've been in conversation for a couple months, and uh, Margaret and Faith recently put up a blog post uh, about uh, some ongoing for credit contract education uh, training that we're doing with. Um, a local agency that serves folks in a welfare to work program, Uh, something that's customized, it's outside of the regular schedule. So there's just um, a tremendous variety of good that can be done through contract education that most people don't realize. So I'd say the bulk of it really is the training for for organizations, whether they're nonprofits, government agencies and businesses, but there is all of these other facets. There are all these other facets that um Deanna talked about, and I just shared a little bit about that you should be aware of uh, with the potential for contract ad. all right, we won't uh, belabor this, but you can tell we we love this part of it because it is so life giving to so many people, um, and so we're we could easily spend a lot of time on that. So let me move us on here so um, education code, so this contract education is part of the design um, of how we operate as a system. And so contract education really is that kind of contract, uh, that agreement that we make with an organization for the purposes of providing some type of training or service uh, with them. And so that is where that term comes from. So it's contracted education as opposed to open enrollment type of thing. And it's always it's it's almost always customized to their specific need, and credit of course refers to you know anything that's being offered on the academic side that is where credits are given uh, for that. Um, now, for our purposes, we we also do of course uh, contract education for credit, and so um, while the individuals get credit for that, generally. Um, FTEs are not, and there's, there's no FTEs that are generated, there's no apportionment that's provided because it is uh, being paid for through that, that contract. And typically that's because it's a closed cohort. So in the case of, for example, that I gave earlier about this welfare to work population that we're serving, this is provided uh, before COVID, it was offsite. On a day at a time that worked for those individuals, they never would have been able to attend the regular scheduled uh, classes. And so you can, you have a lot more flexibility to do that, um, but it does not count toward apportionment. Now, in our case, we're a basic aid district, so that there's neg- negligible impact, but you do need to be aware of the fact that for the closed cohort, uh, there's no apportionment. Um, so out of the 30 to 40 units across the state, that do contract education, there's a small number, very small number that that do for credit contract education. It can be a little bit complex. And then of that number, the majority do um, closed cohort training. Um, there are some that uh, among our colleagues that do open enrollment. Um, Deanna and I are not among those, those few, um, and that is where apportionment does still apply, but there are a lot of rules around it. It's very complex. And, you know, if, if you wanted to learn a lot more about that particular piece, we're not the experts on that, but we could, we could find out if there was an interest in learning more about the open enrollment side, but a lot of it really revolves around the closed cohort for credit. Um, and then of course, non-credit is still on the academic side, but it refers to courses that do meet the criteria for apportionment and, uh, Deanna can share a little bit more about the non credit uh, portion.
2: So, non credit are free um, classes that are still offered, but they do, are um, they're still approved by the state chancellor's office. The, the curriculum is still built by faculty, it is um, offered on the, the school uh, cal- um, calendar, just as credit courses are but you can repeat the class more than three times and you can uh, attend the class for free just paying the uh, um, school fees on that. So non-credit is a great um, sustainable type of um, action for the college, but not for credit is completely different. And if you go outside the state of California, non-credit and not for credit are typically the same thing. So only in California do we have three, we have credit, non-credit and not-for-credit. So it's important to understand that only in California do we talk about non-credit separate from not-for-credit and not for credit is non-transcriptable, not, you're not a student of the college, you are in for a short-term customized program that we are delivering, whether it's on-site at our campuses or at another location, at one of our partner institutions, it could be a business, it could be a, a community partner, um, we can offer that anywhere we do. But it, it is important to understand that in California, we do have the three-tier system,
1: on that. John, so I you know. a question in the chat, but I'm not quite sure I'm understanding all of it there. So that if I read it out, it says CE can be used uh, for all of these options as a closed class, but no FTEs allowed, right? So typically for, for, for credit contract education and not for credit contract education, there are, they are um, closed cohorts just for those individuals. If it's for credit close cohort, there's no FTEs or apportionment. Um, and for contract ed, we don't typically touch non-credit um, and there is a fee um, when we're doing contract education. And we can get into that more uh, a little bit later in the presentation.
2: Contract education actually can offer all three levels um, working with the college. But as the closed class, absolutely there, no FTS is generated, therefore apportionment is not assigned and therefore a fee must be assigned to that because the, in, um, the class has to be paid for. So uh, the instructor needs to be paid for it. So if you do it in a credit or a non-credit format without contract education, that's on the regular side of the house and, fee, and then tuition um, is, is done, non-credit, there is no tuition. It is a free class to the general public.
1: Right, and that's typically why, even though we could do all of these, there's there's not much work that contract ed is doing on that side there. Right. I, I never say never with any of these because um, <laughs> you never know what's gonna come your way and what you're gonna be asked to do. Um, right. All right. Hi,
2: hi, this many is... times, I just wanna add in there, many times, um when a class is offered credit and non-credit it's it is already pre-scheduled on the ca- on the, the calendar for the school many times the organizations we work with as jonathan was talking about before they can't attend during those time periods that it has been published so they need to work with our departments because we have that flexibility in which we can we can turn a class into a, a one week or two week We can turn it into a six week. We have that flexibility in which we can change and and work with what their needs are. We're not published by the state, by the the, the school's calendar.
1: And I think some of the questions that you may have will be answered as we go through a little bit of this. Um, So if you want to keep going, um, Deanna.
2: Yeah. Okay, not for credit. Sorry, I didn't see we went over. So um, the not for credit classes are um, considered community service classes by the state chancellor's office. And they're offered without credit and they're not eligible for apportionment. As we said before, it is required for full cost recovery. So that's where the fees come involved. We have to recover all of our costs that we do do for our contract education classes. Um, we do work with professional experts and we work with uh, faculty typically adjunct faculty Um, when we do work with the colleges and we work with their faculty we do have to come um, we have to work with the adjuncts max load which is 67 percent. that would include any of our classes along with the credit or non-credit classes that they are already offering through on the college side of the house So we do have to work very closely with our um, partners on the college side when we do work with adjunct faculty. We we do work with professional experts. Many of us work with professional experts, I should say. Um, Many of them are are retired. Many of them have uh, 30, 40 years of experience with industry that we create training plans. We do create curriculum. And we rely on the professional experts expertise in that interest in that particular field to provide that training in that that area. Understand community service classes are not for credit. They are fee-based and that can be grant or contract funded or privately funded. And it is um, typically solving a specific um, need at that time. And I see that there's a couple of questions, but before that, Jonathan, did you wanna hop in and answer anything? Yeah, and you
1: know, the title of this presentation is, you know, Contract Education as a Stepping Stone. And so that's the overarching theme here. Outside of of that, I would say probably like 98% of the trainings we deliver are through our professional experts And I have very few. There are some every year that run by using adjuncts or, um, you know, for the training. But under this umbrella of the four credit, which we're talking about today primarily, it's 100% with faculty. um, And usually we work with the dean and make sure that there's a faculty of record that not only meets the criteria to teach this, but would be the right fit. That's really important because there are always particular audiences and they need to be uh, have the right kind of approach to meet the needs of that audience and, um, and work with them successfully. And so there's there's a lot of conversation that goes on to make sure that you get the right person in, not just that they meet the main quals and that the Dean signs off on them.
2: Um, there's two questions in here. One is um, from Bill. The issue of load is a challenge for us, especially to be nimble and offer contract classes quickly because faculty already have their loads full. Yes, um, also you don't run into that problem if you hire adjunct instructors that are from other colleges. You don't have to worry about their load at that level. So if I hire a college, uh, an adjunct instructor from a different college, I don't have to worry about their load issues. In addition, we hire a lot of professional experts as well. Um, They have the expertise in that interest. You do need to vet them out. You cannot hire just anyone. It is important to understand that this professional expert is representing your unit. So you have to vet them out and make sure that this is a person that is going to represent your unit professionally and with the expert knowledge that is required. So there are some ways to get around that load issue. I would not recommend 100% relying on adjunct instructors from your own college. You will always run into an issue of not having that extra load in order to provide those classes, which that is the strength of contract education. So you limit yourself, you're limiting what you can do with your unit if you are only working with adjunct instructors. I would definitely uh, reach out to your contract education um, colleges that are near you. We love to share our resources and share our instructors. Um, The more we're able to work with our professional experts, the more they're able to stay in this. A lot of times I said that they're retired because it is really difficult for an individual to be able to work part-time. Our classes are not scheduled all the time and therefore, Their work is not guaranteed, but the more colleges they work at, the the more availability that they have to work, we have that ability. So just wanted to give you some tips on that one. Um, And then the other question is, if you're offering contract education for credit, you can use a professional expert instead of an adjunct. This is from Laura, as long as you vet them. If you're offering contract ed for credit,
0: whose it was? So, thank
2: you. Okay. If you if you are offering contract ed for credit, the issue that you have for credit on there is typically you do need to work with the faculty at that one because it is the class of record that you're working on. If it's a closed class versus a a open class, there is different. Um, regulations that you have to follow on that. Um, for us, when for our college, when we offer for credit, I mean, a contract ed under credit, we typically use the faculty, not a professional expert. We use the professional expert only when we are beta testing or vetting out or doing a class, not for credit. Um, I will pass this one on to Jonathan. Did you want to add anything yeah. to the
1: when we do for credit, we we always hire um, someone who's already approved to teach as a faculty of record. Um, so that's that's just our standard that we use. And um, we've never tried to go outside of that. Um, so I, I think that's just the way that it's it's the easiest way to think of it is that you're gonna you're gonna need someone who not only meets the main quals. I mean, I have heard of people bringing in. An expert to get approved with min quals and all of that for a particular class that might be very difficult to get covered, but in, at the end of the day, they still need to be to meet the min quals and to be approved by the dean. So, uh, either way, you need to, to work that. The question that um, I think we we skipped over one because there were a bunch in the chat here. Um, one question that came up was, well, why would we even do contracted for credit and the simple answer is access. Um, so, and, and Margaret, maybe you could put a link to the blog post that we did recently for that one program, the Welfare to Work program. So here we had an, or a local agency in our area that had a population that they really wanted to provide services to. Um, so they had this whole wraparound program where they were, they're doing um, some, some work study And then they wanted them to take academic classes that would be transferable. And this population just did not have the means to get to the campus and even with the online to to meet that schedule. And so before COVID started, we worked with them to set up a schedule that was offered on one day of the week for more hours um, outside of the regular schedule. And it was with a faculty member that, you know was really understanding of the particular needs of that population who did meet all the qualifications and worked with them, and we had tutors set up. so it's it really became a customized program for them while still meeting all the requirements of of the class. And so if they if we had just told those uh, those individuals, "Hey, make your way over to the college," it wouldn't have worked out for them. and and that's why they reached out to us for help. And so there's a whole, Article about that, and probably countless other examples. But really, it comes down to providing a group of individuals with access. And just to be clear that when you're doing contract education for credit with a close cohort, the individuals don't pay, the organization pays for them. So, that's another piece of it is that usually the cost is covered or not usually, the cost is always covered for the individuals and it's the entity, the organization that's paying for them. So that's another reason uh, for using that. And I want to- Thank you so much, Oh. uh.
2: I I just wanted to give you another example. We worked with Amazon. Amazon wanted all of their employees to have a class, um, but they didn't want to release their employees during work time to attend the class. So they paid for us to come in and do a, for a a credit, not for credit class at Amazon for their employees. They paid for it. None of the employees had to pay for the class, but they went through the class and they were able to attain the credit through that. And so that's just an example of how we did that as well.
1: And one other question, um, someone asked, can an adjunct be hired, you know, basically to do the contract education training. Yeah. I've, I've hired um, adjuncts before I'd say I'm very careful because um, if you're hiring someone to to do training in a company, there's a different type of, you know, you're, you're really using a lot of adult learning theory and you're not, they're not students. They're employees of an organization. Um, It's not a class. It's a, it's a training and you really need to make sure that you're selecting someone that understands that context and can operate nimbly in that and help those participants feel like this is a training and not an academic class and so it's it's usually much less on the theory side and much more practical Uh, but again that's outside of the four credit uh, the four credit type of uh, situation that we're talking about in this training. And I'm just sharing that because it was one of the questions.
2: And, and I see the question here from Dave. Um, in addition, Dave, we're not, we're not limited in contract ed on who we can hire. We will vet you out for qual for your, your quality of, of knowledge. Um, it our participants that we serve are very different from the traditional student our students typically are marginalized or employed they do not have the opportunity to go in nor many times do they even want the credit they want the skill set so that they can achieve whatever whatever their their need is if it's a business they want them to achieve the skill set so that their employees can work better not so much about obtaining the credit and, and a marginalized uh, individual we work with is somebody who needs an immediate skill set to get back to work again it's a different a different person that we're working with um, and and as our units we're vetting for knowledge we're vetting for the ability as as Jonathan said to do training we're not. A classroom instructor going in and doing a classroom that is your traditional college that is a mainstream college they do their job they do it wonderful we are serving those that are not going in that mainstream together with our units and mainstream we service our whole community so it's those that are non-traditional students that we're serving we will look for individuals, they can be classified, they can be adjunct, they can be professional experts, they can be industry, retired from industry. It's, it's about the knowledge transfer that we are looking for in what we do.
1: Yeah, and I'll just share one more thing and then we'll move on to the next slide that you could have an organization that says, hey, we wanna offer this as a benefit okay. to our employees. employees. and We see this credit class but it doesn't work for our schedule. So can we work with your college to offer this as a closed cohort? Let's say it's a business class and we're trying to ramp up our business acumen for our employees. We have 30 individuals. We want them to take this class on a Thursday uh, from two to four. You know, that's our schedule. Can you work with us? And uh, say, sure, we can do that. Um, And then you find the faculty of record and you work with them to provide that service. So it really allows us to serve the whole community um, in a way that's not often understood. So why don't we, uh, this is fun to answer all these questions. Why don't we, we'll keep moving just so we can cover everything and then we'll have more time as we go. And uh, Deanna, you're up. Okay,
2: so um, as we're looking to transfer a not for credit class to a credit class, one of the reasons why we would do it, I'm just gonna give you a little background here is for sustainability not for credit we always have to have some sort of funding once you move it to a credit or a non-credit you solve that funding issue so the reason why we do that is if it's something that needs to be sustained our keys to success are in order to do that you must have a faculty champion again i said earlier that we do not create curriculum we create training plans Curriculum is under the purview of faculty for 10 plus one. We don't do that. So in order to move a not for credit class to a credit class, you must have a faculty champion to drive the curriculum through the design and approval processes all the way up through the chancellor's office for that approval. You must have buy-in from administration in the college. If you don't have their approval on moving a class from not for credit to credit, it's, it's never gonna go anywhere. So you have to have the faculty champion. You must have the buy-in from your administration, your dean, your college president, that you are working this. And that comes from the proof of sustainability of a program that you might be working with. Third is funding. All not for credit classes must be 100% cost recovery. So for something that needs to be sustained, something that needs to continue on, funding will always be an issue. So for sustainability, it's it's a good thing to put that, to move that to a credit or a non-credit class because the apportionment and the FTES will sustain that funding for that class. Next slide. In addition to that, we have sustainable audience. Not for credit typically works with a company with their employees or with this set of individuals to serve this need to get these individuals hired. Their not for credit serves a very specific immediate need of our community. For moving a not for credit class to credit, there must be a sustainable audience. So in addition to the funding, in addition to a faculty champion, in addition to having that buy-in from administration, you have to be able to see that this is a class that's going to have people who are gonna want to take it for a reason. You can't take a class and not for credit and just move it there just because you want to. There has to be all of these reasons. You'll notice that we have a gap in between sustainable audience and creating access. This was intentional. And we put this in here because every contract education unit in California is different from the other. There's always other administrative needs at one particular college from another one. You have to, part of what we're telling you are these are keys to success, but one of the keys to success is to identify what your college's needs are and what you need to do in order to move something there. Jonathan, and I can give you all of these keys, but we can't give you that piece because that is your particular college's piece. So that comes back to that, that administration buy-in. It's understanding your college and your college's needs. And why would you move something over there? Does it does it work with another program? If you're gonna move a uh, not for credit class over there and it doesn't tie into any of the programs, any of the certificates, any of the degree programs, perhaps that's not a good choice to do. So this is that, that intentional space that we're leaving here to, for you to understand that there's these things that you as a CE professional have to work with your college for.
1: And yeah, no, I'll just say if it's okay, just a quick word on this. Um part of it relates also to the structure. So, uh, in my case, for example, um, I report to the Vice Chancellor of Auxiliary and Community Services for the district. Um, many of my colleagues work on the district level, and many others work on a college level, one individual college, uh, but still serve mean maybe other colleges in that in that district. So, and then many of us report to different, some on the academic side, some on the non-academic side. So it's really like all over the map. And that also relates to the key to success within your organization is who needs to be part of the conversation from the beginning uh, to make sure that this could be um, created, developed, and launched in a, in a smooth way. As smooth as it, this type of thing can be.
2: And then the last key to access is creating access. Um, As you heard before, uh, not for credit, we are fee-based. We are um, usually typically creating and designing a program for a specific need in our community. By moving uh, a not for credit class to credit or non-credit, you do give that access ability for an individual to a, a Go to a class on a continual basis um, and it gives the sustainability of a program so these are the keys to success in in assessing from the first from the get-go whether we should move a, a uh, not for credit class to either for credit or not non-credit
1: all right now we're going to get into some examples um, so this is probably going back at least four years ago. Now, uh, for me, so we we actually ended up launching uh, the nation's first ever digital advertising program. That was entry level. That was the distinct, distinction there. Um, that led to an industry recognized uh, certification. And you know, the goal uh, was to increase diversity within uh, this industry. And we transitioned it from you know um, a pilot not not per credit course to a four credit uh, within a short period of time. Um, a majority of the individuals not only passed the course, but also passed the industry certification. Um, in this case, the partner drove the hiring of uh, in the hiring process for trying to get people hired in the industry. Um, you know, some were successful and, and others struggled and you um, that was something that they learned from and we learned from in that process. Um, and then as we went on, the curriculum was revamped to change, to reflect the changing market conditions. And um, this photo that's here was actually at an event where one of our participants um, was uh, had been hired as a supervisor at a supervisory level um, after this program. And she was speaking at this event. We actually had Uh, jackie spears come and uh, attend that event as well and so um you know that that was a successful experience for her and she has since reached out to many of her other participants in the class over time to alert them to different opportunities so how did this kind of play out how did it work from a timeline perspective so it started with in in one spring where you know, an out-of-state organization reached out to our local um, workforce investment board and said, hey, we're looking for uh, an educational partner that can help us. Um, we have these these kind of foundational materials that we're expert in, but we need a partner to bring this to life. And we want it to become something that's a, a four-credit course in a college. And so our local uh, workforce uh, folks reached out to me right away and said because we had that relationship a lot of this work is relationship based and said hey Jonathan um, can you help us with this and said absolutely so we started that conversation um, sometime that spring and then um, I looked inward to one of our colleges where we had a known expert already in this area a faculty member and we had a conversation and um, she was really excited about it and Um, So we worked with her and that organization funded um, that summer, the development of a course um, by that faculty of record. And the way that we did this to be able to move it really quickly was we designed the not for credit pilot course to be as if it was for credit, but we ran it as a not for credit. And so um, we had all of the different, you know, amount of class hours and typical homework that you would have if it was for credit, but it ran as a not for credit in the fall. And then while that was running, she shepherded it through the curriculum committee. So it was a really short turnaround and, be, and because we had a course that was already designed, we had 30 plus people in the course. So right there, there was, okay, we have an audience for this. Um, and then by the end of that fall, that course got approved. And then in the spring, it actually ran as a four credit. So it was a really quick turnaround. We had all the, the right pieces in place. And that's where, you know, Deanna talked earlier in the previous slide about those are the keys to, to success. So we, we had to make sure we had all those pieces in place. And then when th- those were in place, we could move really quickly. Um, and you see that little asterisk at the bottom. It had to be something where it was really primarily designed by the faculty. So she got some source materials from the organization, but she actually designed that course. And that, that's, that was one of the, the key components here. So I'll, I'll pause for a minute if you have any questions about this. And then Deanna has an example that she's been working on that she can share with you. And we can always open up for, for more questions. So seeing none, I'm going to move on to Deanna here. There we go.
2: Okay. You can hear me. All right. First off, um, I want you to know that I um, dropped a form in the chat and it is the common concerns and questions about community services offerings um, from the chancellor's office talking about how contract education works with the colleges uh, and talks about a lot of the concerns that sometimes colleges have about contract education. So I wanted to share that with you first of all, so that you have that to look up. But for my example, we're, we did things a little bit different. And again, remember I said, there's all these uh, contract education units in California, we all do everything different. So we did ours a little bit different. We had worked with a business association and they had a group of about 20 to 30 businesses that were interested in developing an entry-level program for their industry. What had happened is they had, whenever individuals would go to college for their, they were in construct, there are a, a construction industry association. Whenever individuals would go to college for construction, nine times out of 10, they would be Sectored out into different types of employment, not in their association. So they worked, they came up to us and worked with us on how can we create an entry level program just for their industry. So we sat down at the table with the businesses. We um, did a question and answer, try to figure out what all their needs were, what were the necessary skills for an entry level, what would this person look like. and we probably talked to about 12 different businesses as well as the association in trying to figure all of this out. Um, the typical timeline on that was about three months for us to sit down and talk to everybody and identify the skills that were necessary for this entry-level um, program. From there, again, we created what was called a trading plan. And that took us about five months to... Um, Create that because as we as we put together that plan, we would take it back to the association and back to all the businesses, have them have them look at what we created, get their input, and then fine-tune and fine-tune until finally we came down to what we felt was our beta trading plan of what we can do. So then we worked with them to beta test that. Currently, we are continuing to beta test after our first rounds we were able to come back to the table with our employers and our association and the feedback from the participants that went through the class. So we, we asked the participants, what were some of the, the great things about the class? What were some of the things that were boring, not engaging? How can we overcome that? So we really sat down with the businesses and we worked through that. Now we're on level two of beta testing. And so we're, we're going through the new beta test on that. Once that is done, we have, our, we have already identified a faculty champion that we will be working with to make this into a, a, a full curriculum for the state. Uh, but we wanted to do the beta test first to give them what the businesses and the association have decided that they need. So we will be bringing our, fa- our faculty champion to do the curriculum. Once that's done, they will take it and share that through the whole state of California. And then our other program will be actually state, uh, shared through the whole uh, United States community college system. That's how much of a need this was. But while we were going through this process, It was very, very important that the college knew that that our college administration knew that this organization association had, is working with our department to create this. I had to get their buy-in. I had to identify a faculty member that would be willing to take the beta test results and then make that into four credit curriculum. Actually, we're going to be, they're going to be making it into both for credit and non-credit. So that would give the opportunity for everyone, those that want to continue on and getting a degree and those that just need a skill set for sustainability. So that was, that's the, the second example of how we're doing that. But the important thing is, is we started out with one association, another similar association found out what we were doing and contacted us and said, we need the same thing. We want something designed for our industry. And what we're hearing and what contract ed is excellent at is responding to the needs now. Colleges are great they're the mainstain of our education but they are not they are not able to be nimble they cannot change a curriculum it takes 2 to 3 years for them to make changes we can make changes now we can solve their issues now and while we're taking care of their needs now we are we have the ability to work with the colleges to create that curriculum for sustainability and to keep that going that's the that's the strength the unseen strength of contract education um let's see here i see a question real quick on here um what is the training program that you're getting approved through the united states okay so the the two programs the the two associations that we're working with right now one is um the building industry association it's bia it's the home builders association Many of the individuals who go to college for uh, construction end up in union jobs. The Building Industry Association is a non-union construction job. And so they end up losing a lot of their people to either either a specific industry, like welding or um, boiler workers, or they ended up losing a lot of their individuals to the union. And so they lost, they were losing a lot of their people for their industry. So that was the first one we started with. The second one we started with was Calcima and that's the um, California Association of um, Materials. And um, um, so it's concrete, can't think of the name, sorry. I wasn't expecting to say that. Concrete and like mining and rock, it's your hardscape. Still in the construction industry, but it's a different It's a different focus of a construction worker. And they had the same thing. When people thought about construction, they're thinking about going out and building a building. They weren't, a lot of people were losing the fact that there's people in mining who have to mine those raw materials. There's people who work with those raw materials the rock, the brick, bringing that in. And then also um, concrete and asphalt um, and people who are working in those areas. So we're working with the Calcema Association and we're working with the BIA Association. Calcema, it's a California organization. Once we get done with our beta beta testing, that curriculum will be shared throughout the state of California. BIA is 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 a nationwide organization. And so that one we will begin with sharing with California, but then that will be shared throughout the state, uh, the United States on that one.
1: Deanna, I just wanna say this is to to everyone who's um, watching or watching a recording later. This is also part of why we love what we do. It's, we kind of have to become a jack of all trades. You touch so many different industries, sometimes many within the course of one day and you really have to put yourself into a constant learner mindset to really be listening well, asking good questions and understanding the needs across multiple industries in order to serve them and to create access and to bring to life something that hasn't existed and has held people back. And this is that chance to do that through contract education. And so I can't wait to see how this turns out for you Deanna and this project that you're working on. Um, so we want to, um, with the time that we have left, just go over um, a couple of the kind of challenges to be aware of and some boundary things, and then um, some of the benefits, and then we'll, we'll open it up to further questions. So um, some of the immediate things that you really need to be thinking of that could turn into real challenges if you're not careful, you know, the copyright side, like who owns what? Um, and making sure that that's really clear in your contract. And even if you think it's clear, double-checking it and making sure that it's not a blanket, but it's really like specific for whatever needs to be specific for what is copyrightable, what is not, how long does that, do those rights last? Um, A lot of things that could throw you off there. If there's any licensing involved, just really want to be super, super um, careful, so clarity is your friend on this one, and then identifying the faculty of record you know early on in the in the in the conversation, um, when you think something might be there uh, as a possibility to develop, start the process of identifying who might be that faculty of record because it is a little bit of a process, and so just to be aware of um, of that and to start early if you can um, and then with the funding sources you know there are restrictions there um i have we have stories but we're, we won't get into all the stories but if you for example get a federal grant um there are restrictions uh if you get a state grant there's different um depending on the funding source how you spend the money to do what you need to do to run this properly um it changes so you really have to be aware of that up front um And to know where the boundaries are for yourself Um, and that way you can set expectations properly. And we all know that um, expectations uh, dictate a lot of the success or failure of different projects. Um, Also, um, thinking about on the next slide you can see here, um, what are the equipment and materials that you're going to need? What is really truly needed to run this program successfully? Um, if you're doing it virtually, that could look different. So you really want to um, spell all of that out and the costs associated. Um, and then, you know be prepared for delays. Um, some things will go faster than you expect, and some things will go um, slower than you expect. And what's your buffer? Your reasonable buffer that you're setting in on your side and on their side to make sure again that you can manage expectations. And then as Deanna said earlier a few times, really this sustainability aspect of it, um, how will you determine sustainability of the program? How will you determine the opportunities for graduates? Um, You know, I mentioned the program that we ran earlier. You know, even one thing I learned is that even if you have an industry organization that's expert in their field, they can't make people get hired. They can do their best to you know, push people in the industry to do that. But, um, you know, industry does what they're going to do. And so really kind of thinking through just, again, what are the expectations and, and the ways that you're, what are the metrics that you're setting up and how are you going to measure those and, um, and what are the conversations you're going to have throughout to make sure that your partner's on track with what they've agreed to. So lots of different things, but these form the boundaries for how you're gonna operate with getting a program to market that's successful. Deanna, back to you.
2: Okay, thank you. Um, and, and, and in addition to all understanding all of your challenges, remember that there are benefits for changing a not-for-credit to a either credit or non-credit format. One of the reasons that contract education is so good at this, is that we already have established that relationship with that organization. Now we can bring in that relationship to the college. It's fast tracking it to credit because we've already identified the need. We've identified the, the, class, the, the, the skills that need to be transferred. A lot of the information, a lot of the research has already been done. Sometimes I like to refer to our contract education units as the R and D of the community colleges. We're already doing all of that research and development to create these programs. And so we've already done all the hard work. So handing it over to that side, we're fast tracking all of that research and development over to them they have the flex they have the funding we have the flexibility but they have the funding we don't have the funding so therefore getting it to there to them helps to sustain a fundable um, requirement for in order to even offer the program it's uh, the revenue stream that we're working with can um, can can dry up and then that that program will dry up so by moving it over again we, We mitigate that issue, but it also helps us to move on to the next thing. That's what we did right now. We hand that over. We get that over to them and now we can maybe start the next step or a next group or a next thing. So once we get into what one of my, my colleagues says, the maintenance level, we move that over to the college. They're great at that aspect. They can handle that. we go on to the next Solving the next problem, the next need that our community needs. Um, it also helps the collaboration with our own internal college and with our regional colleges. When they see that we're a partner with them, uh, many times they have the lens that we're a competitor. But as I, I showed you in the Dropbox or in the chat where I dropped the form in there, we're not a competitor, and it is a misconception. We serve the community they don't serve. And that's where we're holistic. Putting our two together, we now serve our our community holistically. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also are introducing these partnerships with businesses and associations to the college for many of their, um, their activities that they need to take place. They now have, they are forging these new partnerships and new relationships with businesses that we've already identified and created. And it is also a rapid response to our community need by us solving that community need right now, identifying that this is something that is, that needs to be sustained, it needs to continue, then we're moving that on to where it can live and sustain um, and, and, and be financially sound as in contract ed, we would always be looking at some sort of funding source and that And to try and have a program sustained in contract ed doesn't work when we're always trying to find a funding source. Typically, we work with a funding source and we work with their need and we create what that need is. That's typically how we work. But those are the benefits of taking that that program and moving it to that side of the house for the community
1: all right so we want to open it up in the last couple of minutes I know you've asked questions throughout but any final questions for us really appreciate you all being here uh, for this time this morning
2: Jonathan there was one question we did miss and it was contract ed um, can contract ed be used to make a non-credit class as closed rather than open to the public with non-profit without charging a fee because the instructors are paid through adult ed funding. So the, it, it, that the fee would be the adult ed funding then. So you've now created a way to pay for the class and it's working with, uh, it would be working with your contract ed unit, identifying what it is that non credit class is. Um, and you've already identified the funding source. The funding source is the adult, adult ed funding the instructors being paid is number one, but if there's any materials, any um, um, equipment or anything, that is another aspect you need to look about it. It would be all, all um, funding that would need to be paid through on that one.
0: So thank you, Jonathan, and thank you, Deanna. Um, what an amazing um, presentation you've provided, a lot of information to digest and We have put this presentation up in the chat if you want to download slides and we will have the Zoom recording uploaded to our podcast that I've also put in the chat a link to that so you can share it with, read it again or hear it again or share it with your colleagues. So um, just to close, uh, we have some amazing contract ed practitioners. I feel so fortunate to work with them every day and uh, appreciate all the work they do in their different individual communities. The CE next webinar will really be our summit, which is an all day summit on April 22nd. We're really excited about that. Faith and I just sent the agenda over to our graphic designers today. Um, we have everything finalized. And if you haven't registered, please do so quickly. And um, that's it. So you've got Jonathan's and Deanna's email. Let them know if you've got additional questions or contact Faith and I. So thank you again, everybody. We appreciate you. Take care.